So we're going to read. He says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Hey, Matt, I'm going to need you to come around here, okay? Uh, these three verses, I'm going to read verse 17. The world and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Amen? He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I titled tonight, obviously, Do Not Love the World. That's very confusing because the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now, you know as well as I do that that word world can have several different meanings. Just think about this. My wife is my world. Now, is that figurative? Obviously not. I live on planet Earth, right? So the word world in that sense means that she's very important to me, okay? Now, we know that we in America have an uh, economy, and there's also the world's economy, right? In other words, America has its centralized local economy, and then the world has another economy that operates within those nations that cooperate with that certain system, right? So that word world there has a different meaning, right? The world's economy, okay? So that word is being used several different ways, okay? And John uses this word several different ways, okay? When he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, is he meaning God loved the dirt? Or God loved the trees? Or, come on, somebody, I'm being serious, right? Did God love the system of the world? Did God love the, the, the present age? No. He loved those human beings that he created in the world. Amen? Now, when John says in this, love not the world, this is a qualified statement of the word world. He's talking about this present age. Okay, which is actually the term the ESV probably uses uh, in a several other verses that I'm going to talk about. Okay, can somebody, Mike, you got an ESV, right? Go ahead and read verse 15. Now I'm going to show you that even the ESV uses this word, world, in a different way right here. Because later on, when we talk about the world, it's going to use this term, world, and it's going to talk about this present age. Where the King James uses the word world still, the ESV changes it to this present age. Okay? Now we're going to find that here in just a few minutes. But when we understand this, that he's qualifying this term to mean this present age or the age that is controlled by evil desires, sinful lusts, who resist Christ and deny Christ. This is what he's talking about. The world, love not the world that does these things. How did he start this chapter? Because context matters, right? How did he start this chapter? My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Uh, he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. And hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And then he goes on a whole tangent of he who keeps his commandments walks in his love and abides in him. Right? Look at verse 6. 
He that saith he abideth in him ought to himself also walk even as he walked. Amen? So we understand here that this world that he's talking about is not necessarily the whole world. It's not necessarily uh, the, the, the tangible world even. It is the things that are controlled by sin. Okay? Let's look at a verse. I want to drive this home with you. Okay? Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. Very interesting, this verse. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Know what it says? The whole world lieth in wickedness. There's a problem with this. Once we get saved, we're no longer of the world. Right? We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. Right? We've been taken from darkness into light, and we're no longer of the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. Amen? Now, this is vastly uh, important to what we're talking about. Because if you keep reading from past verse 6 of John, uh, 1 John 2, he says, Brethren, we write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which things are true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that said he is in the light and hateth his brother is in the darkness until now. He that loveth his brother, brother, excuse me, and abideth and abide, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion for stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in the darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. Notice the language here. Why are we talking about darkness and light and overcoming the wicked one? Why? Because the, this present age is consumed with darkness. And this is what we have to live in. But we're not to love it. We're not to desire it. We're not to look upon it with lust as Eve looked upon that apple in the garden. Do you remember when we talked about Eve looking at that apple or whatever fruit it was? We went back to John, uh, 1 John, and we actually talked about Verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And how all of that was a step-by-step -step process of Eve first being tempted to the apple. And then she saw that it was pleasing to her eye. And then she saw that it was good for food and able to give her knowledge. Right? Knowledge puffs up, makes you prideful. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Eve was drawn to it, walked right into that. And all of us, none of us, when we're tempted, the Bible says we can't say that God is tempting us because he can't, God is not tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. But we're all drawn away. By our own lusts and tempted. Amen? The reality of this situation is if we're going to do what Colossians 3 says, to mortify the deeds of the flesh, if we're going to do what Romans 8:13 says, to mortify the deeds of the flesh, it will not happen if we love the world or the things of the world. It won't happen. And he even qualifies what these things are. 
But I want to tell you 100% the world that we're not to love is the world system, the present age that is controlled by sin and turns good. Look, having a desire to uh, do good and to feed your body, that's good, right? But to succumb to every single lust of your flesh is evil, sinful, and wicked. I want to go through a few verses. I made a note here. Be not of the world. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 1 through 6. Beloved, that's you. How many of you know Jesus Christ in this room? Hold your hand up. All right. Y'all know Jesus, so he's talking to you. Beloved. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirit, try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is in the world ye are of God hold your hand back up ye are of God little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world notice how far off topic we've taken that verse We've taken that verse to say, I can do anything because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But when it comes to sin, we don't think that way. And this is exactly the context of this verse. is overcoming sin. Okay? Overcoming the world. Overcoming false prophets. Believing in Christ. Now watch this. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak of the world, and the world heareth them. Doesn't that sound real familiar? Didn't Jesus say something real similar? I'm going to keep going. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth us not. Hereby know we the spirit of truth. And the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. See the difference? There's a worldly way and a godly way. This is what's being brought out in 1 John 5, or 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Now watch this. Go to John 15, the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 19. If ye were of the world, the world would love you. The world would love his own. Notice how the King James says this. If you were of the world, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. Why is it used in that case? Why is it used in the singular case of the masculine noun? Why? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age. Come on. Are you getting this yet? If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But ye are not of the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. Listen here, Christian. And I'm going to say this just as clear as I can possibly say it. Jesus told you that for the gospel's sake, they will hate you. 
And if the gospel you preach is just music to sinners' ears and doesn't cause them to stop and, and turn to Christ and repent of their sins and follow him, then you're not preaching the gospel. The gospel is offensive. The gospel calls sinners to repentance. The gospel says you must repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You must turn and follow him. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross. We're getting there. I'm getting way ahead of myself. He said the world, if you were theirs, they would love you. Why does the world love all these churches that are blaspheming God and making excuse and occasion for all kinds of sin because those churches ain't really churches. Those people are simply false professors, false prophets, teaching a false gospel. And because it's not the real gospel, the world loves it. The gospel should offend. It should cause conviction. It should cause a man to look at himself and go, Woe is me! What did Paul say at the end of John, or, uh, Romans chapter 7? What did he say? What a wretched man I am. Who can save me from this body of death? Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now watch his admonition. And be not conformed to this world. See, all these churches and all these people who look like they who look like the world and sound like the world and agree with the world and go with worldly ideas for church and run away with worldly desires in the church. They're conforming to the world and they're doing exactly the opposite of what Paul's telling them. He said, be not conformed. There's only one image that a Christian should be conformed to and that's the image of Christ. The image of him who loved them and gave himself for them. Be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Loving the world won't do that. Conforming to the world won't do that. The bar will consistently and endlessly be changed. And we saw it happen in the church. We saw it happen time and time and time and time again in America. We start with marriage, then we start with the home, and then we start with gender. And it's never going to end. Because the end goal is to look at the God who wrote this Bible and say, we don't love you and we don't need you. That's their goal. Because the world hates him. Turn with me to James. James says that loving the world makes you an enemy of God. James chapter 4, verse 4. If you want to know where James is, it's right after Hebrews. God's favorite coffee. Ha, 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 ha. Oh. James 4, verse 4. I want to start at verse 1, okay, just for context, because he is talking about uh, prayer also, right? That's what he's talking about. We know that for sure. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your, what? Lusts that war in your members. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have 
and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lusts. Now watch the accusation he makes. You adulterous, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You cannot love the world and its lusts and the passion and the prides of life. It's not coherent with biblical Christian living. It is actually a cancer that will eat you from the inside out. You cannot love God and anything else. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other, or you'll hold fast to the one and you'll despise the other. Why? Because anything outside of following God is idolatry. Punishable by eternal flames. Period. Verse 16. I want to get here. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. I probably should put my little, you know, ribbon there so I can go back there faster, but whatever. For all, I want you to notice how, you, you know how we talked about the world in the first verse, in verse 15, right? We talked about what the world was. I want to show you how he qualifies this term, the world, okay? Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world. Now, we can start throwing out all kinds of, of sins, okay? And trust me, those sins are what's in view here. But there's specifically some things that he's addressing. Okay, and these three that he's addressing are detrimental for those who profess faith in Christ because it will reveal whether you truly are in Christ and are beloved or not. This is the reality. Verse 16 the lusts of the flesh. And the lusts of the eyes, he said. He says, the things for all that is in the world. What's in the world, pastor? We'll keep reading. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, what does these terms really mean? Now, Joel Beakey says that the lusts of the flesh and the lust of the eyes mean this. It means desires to please the body only and to possess visible treasures here on earth. Now, is God against us having things? No. God's against stuff having you. God's not against you having a nice car. God's against you worshiping and, and, and making that nice car more important than your family or making it more important than, than this or that other thing because the reality of the, the whole thing is this. My life is no longer my own. So if all I'm doing is buying a fancy car to make Kevin feel good, which I had and I had to let go. Love that Camaro. Boy, I ain't even gonna lie to you. I love that Camaro. Didn't I, Mike? The reality is, without even knowing it, that Camaro was an idol. And all of us can get into idolatry just as fast as I did. By the lusts of the flesh, by the lusts of the eye. 
the desire to have those things above anything else, whether I could afford it or not, whether it made sense or not, whether it was practical or not. I have four kids and a wife. We all can't fit in a Camaro. Only four of us can fit in the Camaro legally. Five of us could fit in there illegally. Six of us couldn't fit in at all. I want you to go to Luke chapter 8. We're talking in Luke. He's going about the, the seed that's thrown by the wayside and the seeds thrown on good ground, the seed thrown on stony ground. And I want you to, to look at what he says here. I want you to notice that what's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life, right? So we're in Luke chapter 8. We're going to be in verse 14. Luke 8, 14. And they which fell among the thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked out with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring forth no fruit unto perfection. Amen. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life will choke out the seed of faith. Period. It's incompatible with good soil. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life are incompatible with good seed and good soil. Period. Turn with me to Romans 13, verse 13 and 14. Romans 13, 13 and 14 tells us this great verse that we are to make no provision for the flesh, right? Let's read verse 13 and 14. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and in wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Very important. You see, the whole doctrine of the mortification of sin or waging war against sin that is in our life has utterly been lost in American Christianity or Christianity virtually all over the world because all we do is just succumb to sin and succumb to sin and succumb to sin and then we make up our own ways of righteousness and we run to altars and we pretend as if we're getting a change and we run to the priest booth and we go to confession and pretend that some change has happened but until we're born again you see, the born-again soul wages war against sin. It, is not, it does not welcome sin, and even when it does sin, it is grossed out. It is detested by the person who's done it. They look at themselves and they go, what is this wretched thing that I did? They don't look at it and yawn. They don't look at it and sneer. They, they don't go about their day and just be like, oh, well. God forgives me. That's not the heart of a believer who's truly born again. Truly born again people are loathing the sin that still remains. And they are waging an utter warfare against that sin. I want you to know that Paul coins this frame or thinks of this uh, and or John is thinking of this the same way Paul thinks about this this sin that's in the world, and he talks about it as being the old man, and how we're not to love that man 
or the things that man loved. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. So flip forward to Ephesians. We're going to go to chapter 2. I'm only going to read two verses, I think. Yeah, just two verses. Verse 2 and 3. I might read one or two more. Uh, let's start at verse 1 just for uh, uh, context. And he says, and you hath he quickened. Anyone know what that word quickened means? Made alive. So you've been made alive. That must mean you're born again, okay? You, he has quickened or made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Where in time past ye walked according to the course of what? You walked according to the course of the world. Huh? What is he talking about? You walked according to the course of the world. Obviously, the pattern of this present age. Come on, somebody. What does the ESV say right there? Verse 2. Yep. There we go. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now worketh in children of disobedience. In other words, the old man served the old God, which is Satan, who runs the world system of sin. Verse 3. Among whom... Also, we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, amen, that but God makes a whole lot of difference because anybody who's really had a but God moment is ready to kill sin in their life. They're ready to follow Christ with everything in them. The person who hasn't really had the but God is going to look at sin like it's still his friend. He's going to look at the world system and act like it's good for him. Go with me, if you will, to Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. So right after 2 Timothy, you have Titus. I'm going to read verse 3 through 6. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he has shed abroad abundantly through, Jesus, through Christ our Savior. Jesus Christ our Savior, excuse me. That being justified... By his grace, we should be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will hold, that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Wow. Don't love the world or the things of the world. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Let's get to that pride of life in verse uh, 16. We're almost, we're almost done with verse 16. The pride of life. This is the boasting in one's own actions. Boasting in one's own resources. Boasting in my actions that I can obtain righteousness on my own. I can obtain them by the work of the law. I can obtain them by my own good deeds. O oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you 
that being saved by grace, you would go back into bondage. Because by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. James 4, 16. I want to read that. So flip backward to James, verse 4. We were already there once. He says, but now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. You can't boast in your work. You can't boast in yourself. Paul said, I will not boast, but in Christ. Amen. How dare us boast in our works and boast about ourselves and think that this is godly. Lastly, on verse 16, I want you to notice what he says. <clears throat> oh, I'm going to figure this out one of these years. Pray for me. I'm going to figure out how to put a ribbon in here real quick. Watch this. Got my ribbon now. This is not of the Father, but it is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the constant desire to only fulfill what my, what I want, what my, my desires, the things that'll please me, the things that'll make me happy, the things that made me feel righteous. You see, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, high foot, more superior than men that were older than him. He was a Pharisee that was great in the works of the law. But I want to read to you his own words in Philippians chapter 3. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start reading at verse 7. Philippians 3, verse 7. Uh, can, can I go ahead and read from verse 1 just so we can have the whole context? He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. My brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you is safe. Because uh, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, uh, concision, yeah, whatever. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised at eight days of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I count loss for Christ. Yea, doubtlessly I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might obtain the resurrection of the dead not as though I had already attained it either were already perfect but I follow after if that I might apprehend that for which I also apprehend apprehended Christ Jesus brethren I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press on towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
You see, you will not do this. The heartbeat of this passage will not be in those who love the world. The heartbeat of this passage will not be in those who love the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes and the pride of life. But this ought to be the heartbeat of every single man, woman, and child who names the name of Christ and is truly born again. It should be their goal and their only goal to obtain Christ. Where have we gone? Where has the church in America gone? It's gone into the world and it's sought refuge in the world and it's conflated the, the, the world's arguments and it's condescended to the world and it's made its bed with the world. And all the while, Jesus is standing here in Scripture saying, if you love the world, you're an enemy of God. Verse 17. I put that thing there and then I took it right out. What kind of guy am I? Watch this. The world passes away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Verse 17. This present age and its lust pass away already falling under Christ's judgment. That's what Binky said. It's already falling under Christ's judgment. Let's look at that real quick. Go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I just want to read this and then we're going to move right along. I can quote John 3.18. That won't be a problem. John 12. Verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Christ came and the judgment is rendered. Where was it rendered? John 3.18 He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed. In the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And we all say with Paul, what a wretched man am I who can save me from this body of death. These who deny God, these who deny Christ, those who are at war with God, who are at odds with Christ, already stand condemned. Why? Because they don't believe. Brothers and sisters, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Rulers of darkness in high places. Amen? Why? Because there's a prince in this world. And when I mean the world, when they, when they say the prince of this world, that does not mean devil owns this planet. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Period. When they say the prince of this world, they're talking about the same world that John's talking about in 1 John. The present age, the world system, the things that are controlled by sin. That's what he's the prince of. Not of the dirt, not of the ground, not of the sky. God owns all that. Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 says, All power in heaven and in earth have been given to me. All power. Not a little bit, and he'll get the rest of it later. He said, all power in heaven and in earth are his. Don't let anybody deceive you. Christ is God, and God is sovereign. 
He that doeth the will of God. I want you to turn with me to John 6. We're getting real close to done, people. I'm sorry. John 6, verse 39 and 40. I could quote them from memory, but I'd rather read them so we can know that I'm doing a just job at it. And this is the will of, and this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What's, what is, what is this doing the will of God? It is believing upon the finished work of Christ. Not just for my salvation, but for my life on this planet where I'm to be in the world, but not of the world. The world that I'm not to love, but that I'm going to go and proclaim the love of God, the gospel of Christ. Those who are enemies and haters of God, that I love them and pray for them in a godly way. But I don't love them like I want to be like them. I don't, want, I don't love the things that they do because I'm envious that I don't get to do them. You see the difference? Love does not rejoice in evil. Rejoices in the truth. 1 Corinthians 13. Luke chapter 14. Because there's a group of people in our day and age who say, well, see, you said it right there. All I got to do is believe. That's what Jesus said. All I have to do. Yes. All you have to do is believe. But your belief has to be from this heart. And we're about to read it. Luke chapter 14. We're going to read verse 26, 27, and 20, or excuse me, 33. 27, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not, oh, excuse me, I didn't read 26, did I? Let me read 26 and then I'll read 27. I got ahead of myself. If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, and brethren, and sistren, Yea, his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. You see this believing in Christ and being his disciple. Yes, I believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart, with, with faith alone, by grace alone, and faith alone am I saved. But that same grace teaches me, Titus says, to live godly, to live upright in this present world. Can I get an amen? That's what it says, ain't it? Why does he say this present world? Because this present world is going to pass away. And right now, not everybody's doing that. But there's coming a day in the world to come when there will be no more sin, no more disobedience. Amen? We're even supposed to pray for that. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Now, how does this look in the life of a Christian then? I have to admonish you that Romans 8.13... And, Roman, or, and Colossians 3, and I think it's verse 5, where we're to mortify the deeds of the flesh. We're to be at war with this sin. We're not to love it. We're not to hold it and embrace it. We're to be at war against it. It's got to be personal to you. It's got to be so personal that when you do sin, that's why John makes the statement that he does. Brothers, I write these things unto you that you wouldn't sin. But if you do sin, 
you have an advocate with the Father. One Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen? The goal is for us to look at sin and the sin in our life and the sin in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, and we're not to love it. We're not to want it. We're not to desire it and to follow after it. Amen? It's time, Christians. It's time for us to really be about our Father's business. It is not time. It's, what did he say? It's high time that they awaken from their slumber. Amen? I think it's a high time that we awaken from our slumber. Do not love the world or the things of the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that this word can come to us sharp, sharper than any double-edged sword, God. It's able to divide the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow and the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Father, I pray that this message does not come upon ears and they think that I'm being crass or rough or rude, but I'm saying it as an admonition. I'm saying it as a warning, as if John is saying it directly to me. That I, Kevin O'Connor, love not the world or the things of the world. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room and everyone who watches this on Facebook and those who listen to the podcast, God, that when they hear it, they hear the love and the compassion in my voice, knowing that I don't stand on one side telling them, but I'm standing on that side with them, being, being admonished, being corrected, being rebuked by the word of God myself. That this is an admonition, this is a, a call to all Christians. And not to them alone, excluding me, but including me and everyone else listening. That we turn from this world and turn to Christ. Love the Lord your God and serve him only. Lord, let that be our cry. Let that be our desire. Lord, I pray that you would bless the work of this church's hands. I pray, God, that you would bless the meditation of this church's heart and that you would bless the fruit of this church's lips, that all would be done according to your glory and according to your will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.